0: Area 10 Faith Community meets the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning. Or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. I want to let you know, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but when I was a little kid, I was super awkward. You can imagine, I think we have a picture, A six or seven-year-old little Rachel had big, fluffy Hermione-styled hair. Coke bottle glasses and was basically a living awkward stage. Uh, I did a lot of weird things to go along with this wonderful look that I had going on. I used to go out into the front yard with a pair of scissors and sit down amidst the grass and slowly mow the lawn by just snipping the longest pieces of grass that I could find for hours. I uh, once learned how to crochet, and I never learned how to go back and forth. So I basically made one really long braided strand of yarn, which my mom graciously used as Christmas garland to decorate the house with. I used to have one pair, I used to have two pairs of identical sneakers, one was pink and one was green, and I would base my outfits on wearing one pink sneaker and one green sneaker and then finding sweatpants and a windbreaker to match. Uh, Yeah, so I was an incredibly weird kid. I used to go into my room and pile on clothing. So I would put sweaters and jackets on over t-shirts and long sleeve shirts until I couldn't really move my elbows anymore. And then I would come into my mom's room and make my presence known and announced her, Okay, I'm ready. You can tickle me now. So. Something about putting on all of those layers of clothes made me feel like I was absolutely unstoppable. But all kids are kind of like that, right? Once they get an idea into their head, something that they want, uh, it's really hard to get them off of that. You can try to persuade them or reason with them or even bribe them, but if they get an idea into their mind, they can feel like what is a truly unstoppable force. This next five weeks, we're gonna be talking about an unstoppable force. And when I say that phrase, you might think of something like earthquakes or tsunamis or some natural disasters, riots in the streets, or you might think of this pandemic that we're going through right now. And in this moment, those kinds of things do sometimes feel unstoppable. But what we see time and time again throughout history is that the tragedies come and go and humanity continues forward, picking up the pieces of their lives. And what's an amazing thing is that usually under these circumstances, we see the church charge forward with a message of hope and love and peace, and they serve and they pray and they act on behalf of a message of extreme love. So uh, we are going to take the next five weeks and talk about the thousands of years of history that we have as a church and what makes the church so strong and so resilient, because we have so many examples to look to. We, are, we didn't make this up. We're following in traditions that have been practiced for thousands of years and that, that, that are laid out in Scripture and by doing that, we are connected to the universal ch- church in a way that is spiritually significant. Now, I was really fortunate. I grew up in a small independent church in North Carolina. Um, the, the theology may not have always been perfect. They may have been a little bit stuck in ways. Th- but that church was really amazing at loving this incredibly weird little kid. I know not everybody had that experience growing up um, but I was really fortunate to be a part of a faith community that loved and supported me even when I I messed up, when I tried something new and failed, they still accepted me as part of the community. Uh, An example of this is on my 16th birthday, my mom got me a beautiful royal blue guitar and as soon as I got it, I started trying to strum out arhythmic, out of tune chords. And as soon as I learned my first four chords, I joined the youth praise band and started leading worship because in the early 2000s, you really only needed four chords. It's a little bit different now. Uh, and so a couple months later, I packed up my guitar and I went to church camp. Uh, I went to Park Springs Christian Center in Danville, Virginia. And I was so excited because every year, at the end of the week of camp, we would have an open mic night, and I was trying to get up the courage to play an original song. But my dreams were dashed when I got to camp and unpacked my guitar in front of all of my friends. I grabbed the guitar by the neck and pulled it out of the case, but that was all that came out of the case. The rest of the guitar actually lay in the bottom of the carrying case still because the summer sun had melted the glue that had insufficiently held the neck of my guitar to the rest of the body. So it was just attached by a few strings and no amount of super glue or duct tape was going to save it. I know I tried. Uh, But fortunately, finding an acoustic guitar at church camp is a lot like finding a teenage girl with a Hydra flask. It's really not very hard. So uh, somebody let me borrow a guitar and I got up the courage by the end of that week to play my first original song in front of a large group of teenagers and they were so gracious. And the church is just such a wonderful place for me to grow in those experiences. I would sit on my bedroom floor and just play uh, different chords, building up calluses on my fingers. And those moments just in the quiet of my bedroom when I was learning to play these different praise and worship songs, those were really wonderful moments for my personal faith where I got to talk to God directly and connect with Him on a different level. And honestly, those moments are the ones that really changed the trajectory of my life. Now, We wanna talk today about what that word really means, what worship means, because we say it a lot, but we often don't talk about what does that look like in our our day-to-day lives. Um, We often think that it's maybe just the musical portion of a Sunday morning service, or maybe it's when we go to church and when we pray, those things are worship and they totally are. But we wanna look at scripture and make sure that, that we have a full understanding of what this word worship means. So at area 10, our goal, our central focus, is to transform lives in the city for the city. And we do this by trying to help three people in three different ways. We help them connect to God, we help them find their people, and we help them change the world. And you might think that worship fits really easily into that first category. Uh, but Let's look at scripture a little bit deeper and look at this word worship. So Paul is writing a letter to the Romans. And in that he says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, so offering your bodies as a living sacrifice sounds a little bit more extreme than, than going to church on a Sunday morning and singing the newest pray song. Uh, let's look at this word in particular, uh, latreia is the Greek word that he's using when he's writing this letter. And we see this word throughout scripture and it's actually pretty synonymous with the idea of service. So in these times, when you were in service to something, you were in service to a king or an employer. And so it's this idea that whatever the king or your employer, whatever their goals are, those now become your goals. You're in service to the king. And so you are kind of at the whim of your your employer. If you don't have a good employer, you're kind of if you don't like the job that you have, then, then it's gonna be really hard to serve them wholeheartedly. But we're really fortunate. We have a good king who, we, whose mission of extreme love is one that we're honored to be in service of. So when our goals and our beliefs align with whom we're in service to, then it just becomes a lot easier. And John uses a slightly different word in his gospel for worship. He uses the word proskenio. And this is an interesting word because you don't think initially it has anything to do with worship. The word means to kiss toward. So you can imagine in these ancient times when kings would ride through the streets of a town or a village, people would come out of their houses and they would be so excited to see their king because this king provides them with protection and all of, makes sure all of their needs are met. And so they're throwing kisses at him and shouting acclamation and singing songs, rejoicing that the king has arrived. Now, if you didn't truly love and, and serve the king, then you probably would have just stayed home that day, right? But this kind of worship is a natural, intrinsic response. It's an overflow of the joy that we feel out of gratefulness for his kingship. And John uses this word in an interesting story in John chapter 4. In this story, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through a region of Israel called Samaria, and the disciples go out to find food, but Jesus stops at a well. In ancient times, the the day kind of starts when the sun rises. So when he says the sixth hour, he's actually talking about noon during the day. So it's one of the hottest times of the day. And this was a really unusual time for a woman to go draw water from the well because it is so hot. Typically, they would go in the morning with a group of people or in the afternoon. The women would all go together as kind of... A social happy hour. So the fact that she's here by herself and she's here in the hottest part of the day tells us that there's maybe something a little bit different about her. Uh, Maybe she wears one pink shoe and one green shoe or maybe there's something else that's going on here. Uh, The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, John is providing us with some really important historical context here. The Jews and Samaritans, they live in the same area. They actually have a lot of things in common. Their theology is basically identical. The main thing that they disagree on is where do we worship? Do we worship in the temple in Jerusalem? That's what the Israelites thought. Or do we worship on the mountain, which is what the Samaritans thought? And this one disagreement over generations and generations grew into a us versus them mentality where these two groups of people no longer really even associate with each other. So the fact that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, it really surprises her. She wasn't expecting that at all. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So Jesus, honestly, in this situation, is being really cryptic. What he's saying given the context of where they're at, doesn't make a lot of sense because he literally doesn't have anything to draw water with. So she's kind of calling him out on that. She's, she's not walking away from the situation because she could just say, this guy's a weirdo. I'm going to go get water a little bit later in the day. But she stays and she engages and she asks follow-up questions. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Jesus makes a really big promise. (laughs) How can you have water where you, you no longer are thirsty? And She's kind of walking him through his claims to show him, like, this isn't possible. She doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't know that he often talks in parables and metaphors. So Jesus takes this opportunity to clue her in that she, he's not just a normal guy and he's really not talking about normal water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay, so what just happened there? Jesus, once again, in true blunt Jesus fashion, establishes himself as a prophet by calling her out on a sin that she has in her life. Um, This is the main function of prophets in the Old Testament. 90% of the time, they're having to tell Israel what they're not doing correctly in the moment. The other 10% of the time, they might try and foretell something in the future. But her response is really interesting, because you might think at first, she's trying to change the subject to get the focus off of her. Um, But honestly, I think that she is intrigued as Jesus is incredibly honest, he's incredibly straightforward and confident, and he seems to have an otherworldly connection to the truth. And so she asks him a really pointed question, one that has plagued her her entire life. It has caused her a lot of pain and a sense of otherness. She wants to know who is right in this spiritual conflict, who's right in this, in this religious war. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth." Before we move on, I just want to point out that Jesus is having a full-blown theological discussion. He is not coddling her because she's a woman. He is meeting her as an equal, embracing her sharp mind, and calling her out on her faults. And he's continuously moving their conversation from the physical, this idea of give me a drink of water, deeper and deeper into the spiritual realm. He says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What he's trying to tell her here is that it's not about the place that you worship. This is something that Jews and Samaritans fought about for a really long time, but it's not actually important It doesn't matter what church you go to. That's not how you get into heaven. What matters is your heart. What matters is your authenticity. What matters is that you approach God in spirit and in truth. You come to him honestly with where you're at right now. She challenges him one more time, kind of questioning his authority. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the Messiah for both the Jews and the Samaritan is the end goal. The Christ is the man who's foretold in scripture that will bring the kingdom of God back to earth. He's gonna set all things right again. And in this moment, no other witnesses around. He's talking just one-on-one with this woman. He maybe for the first time ever claims to be the savior of the world. And what she does with that information is incredible. She immediately sets down her jar and goes back into town to tell people what she's heard. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. The woman at the well, she learned a truth, and she responded in spirit and in truth. And this woman who was an outcast amidst outcasts gets to introduce her entire community, her family, her friends, and the people who rejected her to the savior of the world. And she is so excited to do that. And this is the part that I really want you to hear, if nothing else, worship is not an action. Worship is always a reaction. It's when we see the way that our life was in contrast to what it can be with Jesus and we make a choice to respond. Worship is not ever about us. Worship is always about who God is, what he has done, and what he is actively doing right now. Anytime that we reflect on these things, whether it be through singing a song or praying or Maybe we're just thinking about it while we're washing the dishes or mowing the grass. That is worship. When we remember what God has done historically, when we read through the Bible and recall his glory time and time again, that is worship. When we recall things that God has done in our own timeline, things that he moved things, maybe not in a way that we wanted at the moment, but we see now where God was working in that, that is worship And any time that we step forward, because we recognize what God is doing in our community in this moment, and we step forward to become a part of that, that is worship. So we say at Area 10 that our goal is to transform lives in the city for the city, and that we do that by helping people connect to God, find their people, and change the world. Worship is actually a part of every step of that process. It changes not only the way that you connect to God, but also the way that you respond to the people around you. And when your life is truly changed, you can change the world. People notice. So like the woman at the well, our response can cause others to recognize and glorify God. So yes. Worship is absolutely when you close your eyes and raise your hands and let the Spirit of God rush over you and fill you up, whether that happen in the bird theater or on your couch at home. But worship is a lot more. Worship is also when you prepare a meal for the elderly who can't go to the grocery store during this pandemic. Worship is also when you select a thoughtful gift for a Richmond DSS worker who is serving Richmond's most vulnerable communities. And worship is also when you make masks for healthcare workers and family and friends and anyone that you know to help keep them safe because you're following in Jesus' example of servant leadership. And worship is also when you take time to do a prayer walk through Carytown, just to stand and pray for the different people throughout our nation that are struggling right now, for people who are on furlough, for local business owners for healthcare workers, for people in positions of leadership, because we know that prayer is a tool for change, even if that change is simply in your own heart. Worship is even when you sit in front of a smart screen at area10church.com, when you could have slept in, you could have spent a little more time with your family, or you could have gone golfing. All of those things are good things, but you know that Christ loves the church and that being a part of a faith community is a really important part of that faith journey. Worship is any time where we want to act one way and we choose to act differently because of the things that we know, the things that we have learned from the Bible. Whenever you go against the grain of your heart's desire because you know what's right, you know what's true, and you choose to act differently. Worship is a response to the life altering truth that Jesus came to earth and that he grew up and he taught us about his father and that he was persecuted and tortured and sacrificed on a cross and he was buried, but also he rose again to give us new life. And worship is living that new life with transformed hearts ready to give out the love that was given to us. I wanna leave you with the words of Paul one more time. Um, This is a a letter that he wrote to the Philippians. And I think it's really interesting that this time when he's writing, he was probably homebound. Because every time Paul uh, was put in jail, he sang songs. He preached the gospel, and he ended up baptizing his captors, which is maybe why they switched methods and they put him at his own home. They hoped that they could socially distance him enough to suppress his message. But with that time, what he chose to do was write letters, and this is from one of them. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is the time where we choose to respond and we're gonna do that with a song but we want to be really intentional with what we choose to do now moving forward. We have heard a truth. How will we respond? It's going to look different for everyone. Maybe this week while you're doing chores, instead of just turning on the TV, instead you take that time to pray and meditate on what God has done and what he's doing. Or you turn on some worship tunes and refocus your mind on God. Maybe it means you've been putting off joining the Area 10 first response team, but you want to become a part of that now because this is the team that when we get, respo- we get requests in real time, we send it out to this group and it might be something that's happening in the next 24 or 48 hours, but we always have people ready and available to respond in the moment and you want to be a part of that. I don't know what it's gonna look like for you. It's up to you. But we're gonna take this moment to have communion, to sing one more song. You can gather anything that you have in your home. Typically communion is a piece of bread, maybe a piece of, or drinks of juice or wine. You can use whatever you have on hand. And we use this time to reflect on the body and blood of Christ that was poured out for us. I want you to think about how am I going to reflect God's glory back into the world this week. And you can sit, you can stand, your eyes can be open or closed, your hands can be up in the air, they can be down at your sides. Your posture can help you worship, but it's not the worship itself. So I hope that you'll worship with me today in spirit and in truth. Dear God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this lesson that i've been learning since i was 16 years old on my bedroom floor playing praying and and playing praise and worship songs to you god i just i pray that everyone who hears this message will take a moment and just reflect on on what their next steps are what is what are you asking them to do and i pray that we have the courage to move forward in those things we love you so much we're so grateful for the gift of your son jesus in jesus name Amen.